It's my favorite part of every superhero movie. It's the origin story, and everybody has one. Welcome to Pinecone Turkey's The Origin Story Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Henry Harris, and it's my privilege to interview superheroes from all walks of life to find out how they got from A to B, to see where they might be going next, and how we all can learn from their journey. Yeah, I, was, uh, I had my 21st birthday up in northern Quebec, and I was working on a Quebec hydro project that we had uh, we had built down in we had built down in Toronto, and it had some problems. And they asked me to go up and see if I could make everything fit. I had a couple of guys with me, uh, guys about my age, and uh, we were up there probably oh, three to four months, I guess. And uh, we used to it was a little town in the back of back of beyond. And uh, we would spend our days working sun up till sundown, and then we'd go back to this little town. It had a hotel in it, and that's where we'd stay. And the only thing to do in town was to go to this hotel bar and drink at night. So I'd do that every night, got to know a couple of the local guys in there. And, uh, yeah, one night we were in there, and a motorcycle gang came in. These guys were the typical motorcycle-looking guys with the leathers and the emblems on their back and all that kind of stuff. And they sat at a table next to us. Of course, everybody's French-speaking, including them. And I guess we were speaking English, and uh, for some reason they didn't like us very much. The bartender came over to me, and he said, uh, don't leave the bar. Whatever you do, don't leave the bar. Stay here. Now, so did you have any hint of why he was saying that to you? Yeah, I had a pretty good idea, because I could tell by the way these guys were looking at us and talking and pointing. And, uh, yeah, I had a pretty good idea that okay. uh, we were not going to leave the bar anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> But at some point, I had to get up and go to the men's room and uh, walked in there. It had a kind of a cubicle with a plywood door, and I, I was in there. Uh, tried to come out, and somebody had come in. I heard the guy come in the door, and he had put his body against the door. And I tried to open it, and it, it wouldn't give. And uh, I just hauled back and hit that door as hard as I could with my shoulder. Very small bathroom. He went across, kind of across the room, just a couple of feet, hit his head collapsed on the on the ground so there's this uh, big biker lying on the ground bleeding <laughs> um, I stepped over him and uh, went back to my table and I said to the two boys at my table uh, I don't think this is going to be good boys I don't know what's going to happen but <laughs> now are you freaking I, out at this point when you're in the stall and you can't open it are you like there's only one alternative yeah so I'm not freaking out I'm just I just figured yeah there's only one alternative here okay. uh, so that's what I did and then uh, yeah, so I told my told my buddies to, uh, this, this might not end well. I'm not sure what's going to happen. How did they react? They were like, well, you know, I had to explain the story to them, and they they were white. They didn't they didn't know what to do, and we couldn't run because they were uh, the, the, all the rest of the boys were sitting at the next table. So uh, a few minutes later, I, one of the guys got up uh, and he went in, I guess, to see where Buddy was, and he came out with him like supporting him, blood running down the guy's head. Looked over at our table, pointing, some, some words went on. They um, kind of got the blood cleaned off him a little bit, and all of a sudden he got up, came over to our table, stood directly in front of me, reached into his waistband, pulled out a pistol, held it right against my forehead, and pulled the trigger. And it just went click. And he just laughed and went back to his seat, and the boys all laughed. Oh, my God. I sat, I sat there for a second, and I said to the boys, uh, just act cool. 
And I tried. I went over to have a sip of my beer. I couldn't even pick my beer up. <laughs> I was like sloshing it all over. I'm, I'm amazed you didn't need to change pants immediately. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, the end, the night ended up fine. There was two other construction workers in there uh, that were French and English speaking, and uh, they kind of intervened and they said uh, to the guys, to the to the motorcycle gang. Let us buy you beers, guys. And we just bought the beers and kind of diffused the situation. And then it didn't escalate beyond that. Holy. I still didn't leave before they did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's still exactly. I'm, that's an amazing story. So the, the moral is uh, buying rounds of beers can solve any any uh, geopolitical exactly. <laughs> exactly. disputes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Steve Cuz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mike. Uh, what do you do for a living? If somebody asks you at a cocktail party and say, hey, you know, what do you do? I usually say, um, I have a manufacturing business. Okay. And then they follow up with, what do you manufacture? I say, oh, we make steel parts and components for the HVAC industry, ductworks, enclosures, silencers. And usually ends the conversation yeah. right there. But that's what I do. All right. Well, let's figure out how you got into that. Uh, where did you grow up? Where were you born? I was born in, in Wales, in uh, the UK. Um, lived there for about three years, I guess. And... Uh, then my family, we all immigrated to Canada. My dad first. He came over and got uh, settled and got us an apartment and got a job. And Why did y'all move? I think my dad, my dad was a plumber. Um, I think he kind of saw in, in Swansea in Wales where I was born. It's very working class. And he... Uh, is it rural or is it... No, no, no. It's a, it's a very uh, industrial city coal mining that kind of thing okay um and i think he just looked for a better life and uh knew canada probably held that canada and australia apparently was always the choices between people and where to go and he chose canada that's interesting so yeah yeah it's interesting story so he came over um got settled in toronto and then sent for my mom and i and you know back in the days of mail so he (laughs) sent a letter and said okay you can come get on a boat and I'll meet you in Montreal which is as far as the transatlantic boats went at the time and uh, so we did I guess we did a whatever that was a two week crossing a, a ship my mom was a three year old apparently she was seasick the whole time no, well, uh, didn't see me for two weeks <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so about what what like what decade are we in so this would be this would be uh, late mid late 50s okay so we're talking 57 I think okay uh, so not an easy not an easy voyage by any means. Yeah, I guess not an easy voyage. But I'm just I'm in awe of the fact that uh, my dad sends a letter. My mom comes. My mom is not the most adventurous person in the world, and she gets off the boat in Montreal and expecting my dad to be there, and he was. But what if he wasn't? Like <laughs> right. you know, so cell phone. There's no text. Uh, what, what do you do? Are you Wait for the next train till he comes. Go back. I don't know. Oh yeah, but, oh, yeah yes, it's, it's think about that. Actually, yes. Sending a letter. Did she send one back, or just was like understood? Like you'll I, be here. I be suppose. Here then? I suppose she sent one back. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, you know, they had airmail back then, so uh, early days of airmail. I guess. That's crazy. I can't even still like meet up with my wife like at a festival and we have cell phones. Exactly. Like, you know, right? much less like going across the country. <laughs> Uh, that's amazing. Okay, so where did y'all end up? So we ended up in Toronto, uh, downtown Toronto, a uh, little Italian area, a big Italian area, actually. Lived in an apartment above a tailor shop, and uh, my dad got a job as a, as a plumber, a union plumber, and uh, did very well. Um, stayed there till I guess I was about eight, and then we moved to suburbia of 
Toronto. Okay. I don't think of Toronto having like a Italy, like a little Italy kind of area, but I think of it has, in the New York. But. It has one of the largest Italian diasporas in the world. Well, that's awesome. It, uh, it is a huge community there. They've, throughout the construction industry, throughout, throughout everything, they're a very big community. It was only, uh, in my class, my first class, there was only two English-speaking kids. All the other kids were Italian-speaking first language. Oh, wow. So y'all really were in this like little sub subculture area. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, so then you moved to the suburbs? Moved to the suburbs. Had a, you know, leave it to beaver life there, basically. Um, did, uh, did great and grew up, uh, did great in grade school. Hit a bit of a bump when I got to high school. Didn't, uh, didn't behave too well there, but, uh, you know, got, got through it, but still had this... Ad- wanderlust if you will wanting to travel and so what, what so, kind of kid were you like what were you into um you so as a young kid as a, yeah i liked to play sports i was never i played hockey and played baseball i was never a superstar at any of them enjoyed them um i liked i liked reading loved reading um do you have a lot of friends yeah not really i wouldn't say a lot of friends uh you know like i'd have a couple of friends that we'd hang out with for a year or two and then whatever circumstances change I'd have a couple of different friends and hang out I'm a very normal kid I think growing up just probably a little more independent stubborn than than most yeah. but, all right yeah, um, yeah and, I, and great till high school and then I guess uh, I guess about the 11th grade I kind of thought uh, I need to I, I want to go and travel and by this time I had just met Jeannie uh, who I'm still married to, <laughs> and um, she was great. She was 16 when I met her. I was 17, I think, and uh, she had a motorcycle. And, she uh, had a motorcycle? Yeah, yeah, she got a motorcycle on her, I think pretty much her 16th birthday. Outstanding. And she went to a different high school than me, but we'd, we'd meet up and go for rides on her bike, and uh, sometimes at night I'd go to her place, and um, when it was time for me to leave, I'd take her motorcycle home no license no helmet just kind of sneak down the back roads but so y'all are a bunch yeah, of little, little teenage badasses yeah pretty I'm trying much to picture her pretty much riding her motorcycle like smoking a cigarette and like yeah yeah so yeah by the time i was 17 I, my my hair was down pretty much down in the middle of my back Jeannie had this big shirley temple fro and the glasses <laughs> yeah. and the fringe jackets and, uh, yeah but we weren't like you know stealing cars or or doing any bad stuff we were just right you know Kind of trying to look the rebel, I guess. I gotcha. So, were you uh, was high school was was studying important? Was academics important? Did you? Think no, about not college? not really. Yeah, no. not really. Uh, at at that point in our life, um, none of my family had ever been to college. Um, it was never stressed to me. Never brought up. You know, working class families. Uh, my son was the first one to go to college in my whole family of all my relatives. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. Kind of, it was never stressed. I kind of didn't even know if I wanted to get to through high school, and I didn't. You know. So what so. happened along the way? <laughs> so um, in the summer, I guess, of my eleventh grade or grade eleven, as we call it up there, I had a, I had a part-time job, and I bought an old beat-up Sunbeam Alpine. It's a little boxy British car. Okay. And uh, I decided I'm going to just travel. I'm going to go out west and see what that's all about. Um, I went to talk to Jeannie about it, tell her I was going, and uh, she said, oh, that sounds cool. I'll go with you. 
And this is like a summer during high school, or is this, this is a well, summer after our eleventh grade? After, okay. Yeah, yeah. So she had a job. She had a part-time job at the Royal Ontario Museum. I had a job in a woodworking factory at the time, we making staircases and stuff like that. It was, you know, paid some money and whatever. Uh, enough that I could buy this crappy little car. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we decided to take off and go west. We didn't know like how long it was going to be for, whether we'd come back for our 12th year or at school or what we do. There was no plan. We just decided to go west and head to the west coast. That's where Canadians at that time wanted to go. Everybody wanted to go see Vancouver and go west. That was where the, that was where the pot of gold was? Exactly, exactly. But yeah. blows my yeah. mind because my generation, I think, you know, in response a little bit to the 60s and 70s, was certainly raised, you know, you will go to college. You know, that's, that's the dream. You know, this is extremely important. And the idea of, like, hanging out and leaving, like, the 11th grade, my girlfriend is going out west and maybe coming back, maybe not, is so foreign to me. I love, I love that you did it. Yeah, I, I guess it was a different time, and, and my family circumstances were certainly different. Um, and it was, you know, it was just seemed to be, I don't know if freer time is, is the right way. There, there was no helicopter parents back then. Uh, things were different. My parents weren't, I don't remember them being involved at all in my, any of my decision-making or my meet-the-teacher nights or any of that. It right. was just like, carry on, do your thing. Yeah. Man, has changed a lot in a short amount of time. Right? Yeah, yeah, it sure has. Yeah, we used to hitchhike everywhere. Every, you know, I'd come out of school. At, I, I was 13 when I went into the ninth grade. And uh, from that moment, I used to hitchhike to school, hitchhike home. All our buddies would all hitchhike to see each other and go downtown or whatever. It was just a way of life. All right, yeah. Hank, if you're listening to this, my son, I'm tired of carting you around. Get, out, get that thumb working. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so where did y'all end up going, and how did you pick where you wanted to go? So we were headed west. Um, we got to White River, Ontario, which is a little town on the top of Lake Superior. Little, not, excuse me, nothing town. And driving along the highway, I heard this awful noise from my car. Knock, <laughs> knock, knock, and I knew that wasn't good. <laughs> um, so we got uh, a towed to a gas station sort of thing, a mechanic's office. And it was a Friday, and he said, uh, yeah, I'll look at it Monday. Like, I don't work weekends, and I'm done for the day. We're like, great. <laughs> so one of the things we had with us was a tent and some sleeping bags and a bunch of other stuff. So we set up camp in his junkyard with all the broken-down automobiles and uh, waited for Monday morning till he came <laughs> yeah. in. Just hanging out in the junkyard. Just hanging out in the junkyard. As one does. He came in Monday morning. He must have spent five minutes on my car. I looked at it, and he goes, yeah, it's, this is screwed. You're, you're done. So you wait a weekend to find yeah, out you just needed right, to buy a new car? Right. So he said, you can leave it right here if you want. You know, but I'm not giving you anything for it. Cars. Yeah, right. So that's where it stayed. And uh, uh, we hitchhiked, I guess, into uh, into Port Arthur, Fort William, which is Thunder Bay now, um, and decided tried to decide what we were going to do at that point. So we needed money. Um, I went to a day labor office and... Uh, you know, got some day labor, met a guy. He said, hey, you're looking for someone to crash. You can crash on my living room floor. Uh, what a great guy he was. He had a nine-month pregnant wife. I'm sure she was excited to see us oh come over God. there. And we stayed there uh, for a week because I quit my job at the woodworking place to leave and hadn't really given any notice, which wasn't a very cool thing to do. But so because of that. A teenager. And yeah, that right. Happens. Exactly. And because of that, the guy who 
wasn't ready to give him my paycheck. So he said, send me your address, I'll send it to you. Well, we didn't have an address, so uh, <laughs> I had this guy's address, and we had to wait to get money. So uh, the paycheck finally came, I guess about a week later. Um, I cashed it, went down to the train station, and said, uh, how far west can I buy two tickets with this amount of money? The guy said, Calgary. I said, Calgary it is. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Now, did y'all, when you had this kind of delay, you and Jeannie, were y'all... I don't know. What are you? You're both working, I guess. Like you're doing the day labor stuff. Like, yeah. Are you? I mean, what do you think? Are y'all happy? Or is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's is all this good. Just like, eh, no big deal. We'll it's all it good. Out. We're hanging out with these people, and they're introducing us to other people. And, you know, uh, nobody has any money, but it was it was pretty cool time. Yeah, yeah. It was fun. Everybody was everybody was very cool. It was really nice. That's amazing to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you're heading to Calgary. Yeah, so where we get the money would take you. We get to Calgary, and with all our belongings, which totaled seven bags, which was a couple of suitcases, a tent, some sleeping bags, whatever. It was a total of seven bags. So we get to Calgary, no plans, nowhere to stay, uh, but they have a left luggage or a luggage storage there. So they said, "Yeah, we'll look after your bags." I think it was twenty-five cents a day per bag to look after them. So. Said okay, we'll leave him here. I took one bag, I think, with toiletries or something, and then tried to look around, see what we're going to do. Well, they had a um, government-run kind of—I don't even know what you call it—kind of like a drop-in center where people could crash. So we went there and crashed for a few days. Uh, Jeannie got a job the next day, the day we got there, uh, and started the next day. I got a job, a day labor job at a furniture place the day after. So. Yeah, started to get some money coming in. Jeannie got some tips. She hadn't been paid yet. but uh, So we'd go down to the train station and look at the bags and decide which couple we want to get out. Yeah, like what and, we uh, need. Yeah, and we'd get a couple. We didn't know, know where to keep it anyway. Right. So we were still staying at this government place. And then um, after about, after I guess after we got our first paychecks, we started trying to look for an apartment where we could stay where they wouldn't need a first month's deposit. <laughs> they would just trust us. <laughs> right, right. Uh, All the best apartments are like that. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> uh, funny enough, we ended up in an apartment above the restaurant when Jeannie was waitressing. Well, that could be good and, or bad. Uh, and it was cool. So she could like walk down the stairs and go to work. And uh, my job, a guy's, one of the guys would pick me up and we'd go off to work. And we ended up staying there a year. It was it was great fun. We met so many people. So many people were so nice to us. It's unbelievable. Would you all decide just like month to month? It yeah, was yeah. Like, you know, all right, let's 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 give it one more month. Exactly. There was no lease or anything like that, and we we just didn't had no plans. We had no idea uh, what we were going to do. We just met cool people, and uh, um, you know, have we go on hikes, parties, just hang out with people. It was, it was so much fun. So is it, is it fair to say you weren't really worried about the future at this point? You're oh, absolutely like, not. Yeah. You know, we're yeah, just we're happy hanging out. Like, yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, stayed there until, uh, I guess Jeannie's sister sent word that she was getting married and wanted Jeannie to be in the wedding party with her, of course. So we said, well, I guess we got to go back to Toronto for that. <laughs> All right. Time to go. Um, but we didn't. So we decided to go. We we did get back there eventually. But we decided, you know, we never did get to Vancouver. So we're gonna go there first. We got to Vancouver, um, hung around there a little bit, saw everything we wanted to see. It was Vancouver was the furthest west you can exactly. go in this part of Canada. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and hung out there for a while, and uh, then decided to make our way back. And 
and didn't didn't have much money left by that point but uh so we took the milk route back the uh there was a train that ran across through the northern part of didn't hit all the big cities it just went through the northern part it's four days in a in a sit-up seat um to get there ran once every 24 hours and why do they call it the milk route well that was just a term they use because it stopped basically to do everything deliver the mail deliver the milk and it would I got gotcha. you. It's stopping every little Indian village. This is not the oh. express. It's not the express. <laughs> okay. It's not that Vista Vista train that you see where you look in the beautiful view of the Rockies. Right, people wearing your suits and your the dining car. Exactly. The, uh, right. right. Not, not that. So this was uh, this was a long ride back. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. One of the funnier events of that trip back is we stopped in this little Indian village in northern Ontario, and uh, like I said, this train went through once every twenty four hours. So if you Missed this one. The next one was exactly the same time tomorrow. <laughs> and for some reason, I got off the train, stretched my legs or go buy a soda or something. I don't even remember. But I just got off, was looking back, and the train started to move. And I thought, oh, that's not good, but I better <laughs> run, and run and catch it. Well, in the movies, people run after the trains all the time, and they grab a handle, and they jump on the back of the train. Exactly, and look very stylish while they do it. Exactly. Did not happen. <laughs> that that train just accelerated and took off. You just watched it going away? I just watched it going away. <laughs> so I'm standing here knowing the next train's 24 hours and knowing, in, um, and I mean a small little Indian village, there was nothing there at all. There was nothing. Yeah. So uh, I, st- I started to run. I just ran after the train. I just uh, jogged after the train. I have no idea why. Uh, I just thought, well, I'll just keep running. Well, chances what are the chances there's another indian village about a mile away and the train stopped there and i caught the train genie was at the back of the train looking at me like what are you doing yeah. you're like what else am i gonna do uh, exactly and i i caught the train i can't believe you caught the train i can't yeah. believe there's another village that close it was crazy yeah I mean, and the next one was like 150 miles or whatever but it happened to be two within a mile did it ever get out of sight or were we able to yeah keep no it, like it did the- it actually as it went like around a bend or whatever it'd go out of sight then i'd see it again and uh, and by the time I caught, I could see the village kind of coming into view, and I thought, like, holy crap, I can make it, I can make it. <laughs> so what, are, what do, you, are you, do you remember what you were thinking? Were you, are you, you had to be like, I would be cussing myself out the entire time, like, how did I miss this stupid drain? How did I get up? Why did I not yeah. get back on in time? Yeah, I don't do that much to myself. I really don't. I just like it's thought. Like quality. Yeah, I just like, yeah, you're an idiot, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. just... You know, if the, and the worst case scenario is I was going to catch the next one the next day, right? And I might be sleeping on the on the platform. Who knew? But and right. it wasn't and the end of the world. Again, like y'all are, you know, cell phones. So yeah, right. Exactly. You, just, you yeah. know where the, you know where the wedding is. Yeah, so I guess you'll see you there. Right. It, Jeannie certainly knew where I was. And, uh, <laughs> knew she was so not a problem. I really want to know what she was thinking <laughs> I, this yeah. time watching you. Yeah. I, well, she 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 ended up marrying me, so I I don't know. <laughs> So either she was like, all right, this is the bottom. This is the worst it's going to get. You know, we got to go up from here. Or right. she's like, you know, damn, that man has perseverance and he can do these things. <laughs> yeah, crazy. it's crazy times. But, uh, yeah, so we did end up back in Toronto. We did make the wedding. Um, and then we decided to stay in, in Toronto. We didn't know at that time what we were going to do. Um, How long have you been together at this point? So we are now 19 18. We're now 18. Uh, been going out or whatever since we were 16. So we're 18 and hanging out in Toronto and doing... Jeannie got a 
she got a pretty good job actually. She got a job at Hallmark Cards as an accountant, uh, accountant trainee, I guess. Uh, okay. Uh, and I got, I did all kinds of odd jobs. I did everything. I just, just, I always worked. I always did something. I cleaned up fire damage uh, for an insurance company. I, I unloaded trucks. I delivered furniture. Uh, you know, day to day, whatever. And so usually all man- more manual labor. All manual labor stuff. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so we did that, kind of living apart, me kind of living in her parents' basement uh, for about a little less than a year, I guess. And, and then. all together together? Um, like are you all, like you wouldn't move to another city without no yeah no her no to go no, with you no exactly yeah okay. yeah we're together and we decided we'd get married okay so y'all yeah big time so uh, yeah so we planned this wedding like whatever I, I forget how much advance notice we gave our parents but like three months <laughs> uh, so we're nineteen and uh, and we get married um, another move. thing that's changed dramatically <laughs> yeah right in a short it, amount of time exactly. Uh, 19, get married, moved to an apartment. Um, we stayed there a year. I got a, a job as an elevator constructor. This is a uh, pretty good union job, paying job, and uh, they had two classifications, helper or journeyman. And I was hired as a helper, obviously, and uh, started being the low guy in the total pole. I had, like, you know, I would do all kinds of menial jobs or whatever, uh, any job, actually. Right. But the most important job was I had to go get the coffee <laughs> for all the guys. And we were working on a pretty big job downtown. had a whole bunch of elevators. Um, and there was about 50 guys on the job. And I would take the coffee orders in the morning, go play, go get the coffee, bring it back, make sure they had the honey buns or cigarettes, whatever they wanted. How do you carry 50 cups of coffee? Oh, yeah. So I you know, make a little dolly to take around uh, and put them all in boxes. I, I had it pretty organized. Uh, I, bl- I, and I, I probably spent, you know, better part of my my day actually just yeah, delivering coffees that, that doesn't just happen officially quickly exactly um but one of the other jobs that i had to do was we our place at the job site we were working on wasn't too far from a racetrack in toronto horse racing track so the guys would give me their bets and i would have to write all these bets down and i would have to run over to the track before the races started races started at one so i would have to get over there place all the bets and then at the end of the day or the, the next day, I would have to go collect all the tickets and distribute all their winnings. All right, so if mornings getting it. coffee, early afternoons making bets. Exactly. And collecting yeah. bets. And I did that for about a week until I figured out, oh, there's some money to be made here. Um, I don't need to be placing all these bets, and I don't need to be running over to Greenwood Racetrack. I've got the form. I've got the, you know, I, everything comes out in the paper every day. I'm just going to book these bets. I will I'll be the, the bookie. <laughs> the cojones to do that is uh, is strong. I mean, that's like yeah. forget this middleman stuff for the horse racing actually track. I'm yeah. just going to do it myself. Exactly. Well, the, the the math is pretty easy. You can figure out that uh, they have such a, a a great handle at the racetrack. They make you know 17 uh, percent of every dollar that's handled goes to the track. So I could figure that out pretty quickly. And uh, the only thing that scared me was when somebody would bet a long shot. And um, if the, if they did, sometimes I would actually make the trip to Greenwood to place that bet. Oh, that's so smart! I wouldn't minimizing the risk. Yeah, there. I don't want to get stuck with a ninety-nine to one shot. Would you? Uh, so, how much money did you pull together before you like? Did you? Because you had to have some money like in a pot just in case people won normal bets, right? Yeah, or, yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I always had that that little float from the week's previous paycheck. I, I made sure that I could 
cover that. I, I never really, and I'd probably be dead if I didn't have that <laughs> cover. Uh, but it worked out fine. I mean, it, the, the cash started to flow pretty pretty readily. I love that you would place the long shots though with the actual track. That's so smart. Yeah, and, and one of the other things that we used to get there, we get two paychecks. Everybody get two paychecks every week. One was your regular paycheck. And the other ones we called expenses, which could be parking. It could be a number of different things came on that check. Zone money, we called it. So everybody would have an additional check for or maybe a third of the amount of what their paycheck was. And uh, so I'd start a little poker thing with that at the end of the week when those paychecks came out. And uh, I got pretty good at that. So usually when I brought my paycheck home to Janie, she always managed her money. I'd give her my paycheck and about seven other guys' paychecks. <laughs> oh, my God. They just endorse the and sign them over. But mostly bullshit poker, where you play with the numbers that are on the bills or on the checks. Okay. And, uh, and we right, play for those of you that don't know, I'll, uh, I'll link to like a Wikipedia thing on, on, <laughs> on that. That's a fun. That was a college drinking game we played every now and then. That's a great game. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's so much fun. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, I got to read guys pretty good. And I, I'd usually end up making... I'd usually end up taking somebody's checks home. You'd be doing all right? Yeah, yeah. Ever feel guilty? No, never. <laughs> Jeannie couldn't understand why I couldn't. She knew some of these guys. She knew they had young kids and stuff like that, and knew they probably needed the money, but so did I. Tell them to get better. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So, yeah, so that was our... Twi- so I was 20 now, I guess. Uh, Y'all are Married. Married. How was the wedding? A big wedding, small wedding? I mean, uh, like small wedding. Yeah, it was a funny. Justice of Peace? No, it was in a church, uh, a church that Jeannie's parents used to go to way back in the day. And uh, Jeannie's parents said to us, uh, hey, uh, you can have two kinds of weddings here. You can have the wedding where we have a small hall and, you know, you have 30 people. And usually the Legion, everybody rented the Legion hall up there back then. Uh, you can have it, have it at the Legion or we can just have a little party in our basement and we'll give you the money that we save on that. I have no doubt what you chose. We did. We chose the basement wedding, but we never did see the money. So <laughs> <laughs> they had to spend it on other things. So and and, and you know, no problem. Yeah. Good on them. It's a good negotiating uh, tactic on their part. Exactly. Well. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we had uh, we had a very small wedding. Um, lived a year in the apartment, and then we bought our first house. So we were twenty when we bought our first house in downtown Toronto. And why did you? Uh, why was buying important versus just renting? Yeah, we didn't really like the apartment we were in, and and I mean, owning a home was always the dream of my dad's. You know, when we lived in that apartment, and and I guess I had that instilled in me. You know, if you own a home, you've made it. That's right. that's you know, I, that's the goal in life: own your own home. Yeah. Uh, so we did. We bought this uh, small, little, tiny little home, semi-detached home. Um, but it was great. We bought that and. We, you know, lived there and fixed it up a little bit. And I'd have buddies that could do different skills, and I could get materials from job sites and bring them home, fix them up, and it was pretty handy. So, that, yeah, it was great. It was a great, great time of our life. Well, how long did and you all live in that house? Where was. We lived there, um, I think, about five years, maybe. Okay. Um, but the second year after we bought it, we, we actually quit our jobs and took off to Europe and traveled around Europe for. Uh, for the better part of a summer. Oh, and, awesome. Uh, yeah, and we got somebody to stay in the house and pay some rent while we were away. Um, Jeannie, her, her job at Hallmark Cards, they were great. They gave her a leave of absence to do it. And my job, I had to quit it again. So <laughs> Right, but it sounds like with the skills that you already have and you're willing just to work, that you knew it was not going to be hard to, 
to get another job comparable? Oh, a comparable job or another job. Or uh, I mean, I always had side jobs going on. I always did. I went to our we had a little convenience store at the corner from my house that I went in one day, and it was Max Milk. It was called. It was a chain of stores, chain of these kind of Circle K's, I guess, the equivalent here. And the guy's tiles were in bad shape, and he complained to me. He said, I don't know anybody that can do tiling. I need to get my time. I said, I do tiling. He goes, really? I go, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll do it. So I tiled his floor. Never done tiling before in my life. But I, <laughs> yeah, I, I learned how to tile. Like It wasn't really that hard, but I, you know, I did his store. And then he told all his buddies, you know, the other uh, guys that owned these shops, and I ended up doing six or seven of these Max Milks. All right, so, so, what, so what, what is it in you? Or did you, is this learning this through growing up or is this like a part of just who you yeah. are as a personality that you would, cause, I mean, honestly, I, I would just never be like, oh, I can do that. You know, I'll do that for you. I, uh, yeah, I just, yeah, I didn't ever see anything that I didn't think I could do myself, you know, beyond like doctoring and flying a plane, stuff like that. I mean, hands-on stuff. Right. You know, I I worked on construction sites. I could see how guys did it. Nothing was really that hard. Um, so yeah, just give it a shot. What's the worst that can happen? Right. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, so why why Europe? How did I pick Europe? And we, again, we both love to travel and always had this thing in us that we wanted to go. And we just said, let's let's do it. Now, you know, we hadn't hadn't had a kid yet, so uh, this is the time to do it. Right. So we got a URL pass and just traveled to Europe. Uh, and it was great. We did like, uh, like if we were in Rome, we would travel to take the night train to Paris so that we could sleep on the train and not get a hotel room. And then we'd spend a couple of days in Paris. Then we'd get the night train back to Rome or back to Venice or somewhere like that. And we just zigzagged all across Europe. Oh, do you remember any other great uh, travel tips? Because that, that's brilliant right there. Um, yeah. <laughs> so back, this was back before the Euro. So every every country had its own currency so doing this obviously you're changing money all the time or keeping seven different kinds of money and uh yeah i went into we we got to italy tired and i had all converted just about all my money to lira at the time and i forget how many tens of thousands of lira it took to (laughs) make a dollar it was like crazy and we went to a gelato shop and uh the guy a little tip jar out we bought a gelato and i put a tip in the jar sat down had our gelato and i realized i just gave that guy pretty much all our money (laughs) i had like i had not figured out the zeros correctly right so i jumped up and went over and the tip jar was gone it was not there it was moving then the guy was behind the counter and i said whistling and a huge smile on his face (laughs) whistling a happy tune so i started to talk to him and immediately he could speak no english at all but I could speak some Italian from my days growing up in Toronto. And uh, between my broken Italian and English, I just said, come on, dude. Like, you know, <laughs> you know what I did. You know what's happened here. And he was having none of it. And I just, I was just relentless. I wasn't moving. I just kind of kept going at him. And finally, he reached under the table and brought the tip jar out and gave him my money back. <laughs> gave him a, a tip that had a lot less zeros in it. Oh, my God. What a horrible feeling. <laughs> That's so much easier now with the euro. <laughs> yeah, right. Golly, no kidding. So yeah. you all were there for like a summer, basically? Yeah. Or? Yeah, we spent a summer there and then came back to the real world. Gina went back to a job at Hallmark, and uh, I had to get a new job. 
So I know you guys travel a lot still. Is that does that trip? Is that the special trip? You know, or? it was our first big trip. Um, we've had so many fantastic trips. We've been sixty-five countries, six continents. Uh, you know, places like Vietnam, Cambodia, uh, Laos, places like that are amazing. Peru. Um, but yeah, there's a soft spot in my heart for that trip well, for it's sure. Because be, there's, I mean, you never, you're never that young and carefree again. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. That was a that was a great trip. Unfortunately, reality bites, and we had to come home and uh, start making money again. So, where did you find uh, work? And are you at this point? Are you are you still just day to day, or are you focused on more of the future yet? Uh, So, I quit my job at the elevator place um, partially because, or mainly because, it was a uh, seniority-based job. So, whenever by the union rules, whenever they had to slow down a job, the least senior guy had to go and be laid off until somebody else picked him up, and I couldn't live like that. So I packed that in, and I saw an advert for a job that said, um, welder fitter class one. And I had taken some basic welding and shop class in school, and I thought, I'm going to go apply for that. So I applied for it and did the test. I remember my welding symbols. It wasn't, you didn't have to do an actual welding test. Um, and I got the job. And so that's where I started basically getting into the sheet metal area of, of my life. Okay. Um, I worked for them for a couple of years, which uh, ended with my stint with them as we started out the podcast uh, up in Quebec. I finished out that job and came <laughs> back and uh, decided I'd go in a different direction. Were they pretty good about teaching you the things you didn't know on the welding? or is it? Well, they expected me to know them. So when I got the job, they gave me two helpers, two welder helpers, and said, gave me a bunch of plans and said, go build this. And I walked out there and it, I didn't have a clue. <laughs> yeah. the, the welder said, uh, I said to the guy, what's that big box over there with the handle on it? He goes, what the hell, man? That's a MIG welder. You're supposed to be a welder for class one. I go, yeah, but I've never seen one of those. <laughs> and that's a, so, is that a pretty basic welding yeah, kind of tool? Yeah, exactly. In, right. in production, uh, that's that's the most is common. Like asking what a hammer is. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay. Yeah, pretty much. But these two guys were great. They were uh, they helped me out. I um, I could figure it. I could read blueprints and and so I could kind of figure it out what to do and right. kind of faked it until I got the expertise. And so. these were the guys with you up in. Uh, they were the back. two guys I took up. Uh, and the boss <laughs> yeah. said to me. When he asked me to go up there and, and handle this project, he said, take two, any two guys you want out of the shop. And I took those two guys. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds yeah. like a wise choice. Yeah. <laughs> it's great times. <laughs> uh, so did you, did you leave this job voluntarily? Yeah. Yeah. So I came back, and uh, that was kind of – so I went in as a welder fitter class one, and that was the top of the rate, and that's the top it was ever going to be for me. Uh, maybe a shop foreman position somewhere down the road. So I knew that wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, my dad had a – friend or a, a guy that he worked with in business that had a sheet metal company that was uh, actually had an apprenticeship program where you would become a journeyman apprentice and you could go on from there. So I took that job, um, worked with this guy. He was a great guy. He, he really uh, thought a lot of me, I think, because I went to him first week and I said, you know, I love this job and thanks for the opportunity, but I, I can't live off this, this first week, first year wages. He said, no problem. I'll make you second year. So he made me a second year and then moved me to third year. So, you know, I was immediately making more money uh, and enough to kind of survive on with Muccini's salary, knowing what I, knowing the direction I was going in. Right. So uh, that was great. I learned a lot about, uh, this is HVAC work mostly out on uh, 
shopping malls and and things like that. But we also did a lot of work in industrial plants and and. Are y'all installing it and building it, or we're installing it and we'd go back into the shop and build it sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we learned the whole thing, and then part of that training in the apprenticeship program is going to college for six weeks every year, where you would you would leave the job and and go in there and do hands-on training, pattern drafting, and things like that. Learn drafting, learn all aspects of the, of the trade. Oh, that's great. So that was great. Yeah, yeah. It's a program that's since gone away, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, that was great. And I did that for, I guess, I was in my fourth year and uh, really kind of could see what was going on around me. Had a great guy I was working with, a great buddy. He was my journeyman. I was his apprentice. And I thought, you know, I, I, I need to go out on my own and do this. I think I can... I think I can do a little bit. I make a little business here. I can. I can do this. So tell me, when you say you were like looked around and saw what was going on, what was going on? Well, I saw how uh, when we were doing the smaller jobs, especially how easy they were. Uh, you could figure out pretty much how long it was going to take you. Uh, could figure out pricing, and concurrent to that, uh, we had moved to Oshawa, which is a, a subdivision, I guess, not a subdivision, a city about uh, 30, 45 minutes outside of Toronto. And these were all brand new tract houses, small houses, but a lot of young people there, a lot of uh, uh, people our age, that they were bare bones houses. So uh, none of them had air conditioning. Now, is that because this is just the very simple housing or is it because you're up north in Canada and air conditioning is not as important? Yeah, a lot of houses didn't have air conditioning, but but, uh, most did. This was to keep them under a certain price point. They they gotcha. didn't include it. You could put it in after. Uh, so my buddy, I met a buddy out there who is in air conditioning, and um, I was in sheet metal, obviously. Um, so we started putting in air conditioning units on weekends, and we would do three every weekend. And people were lined up for these things. <coughs> Excuse me. We um, we'd make a few hundred bucks each on every one. Um, he would do his part. I would do my part. We. Bust them out, go do the next one. And strictly word of uh, mouth. I'd be like, so what are you, word what of are you mouth, doing? Exactly. Like, We're doing this. Like, Ooh, I want that. Exactly. And I learned from that. I learned how to, uh, so we would obviously have to have air conditioners in advance. Um, so I got an account at a supply house. Uh, basically, that was the start of my business, really, was was doing that work. I would do the billing, get the money, uh, pay the payables, uh um, pay my buddy, pay me, and uh, move on to the next one. Are y'all so. partners, or are you the? We're partners. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're partners, um, and we did that until just about everybody in there in the subdivision had uh, air conditioning. Outstanding. It was great. That was a it was a really good time of our life. So we were uh, early twenty years old in our early twenties, early to mid twenties, I guess, and we moved out there, and uh, all like minded people around us, all people our age. Um, and so when you say like-minded, like what? What's what was? What's the pervasive attitude of of life? Um, the pervasive attitude of, of life basically is everybody was in our age group, and everybody was just trying to trying to start life. Trying, they all had young kids. They all had, uh, you know. I started a baseball league out there, like, to, and everybody joined. Like oh, wow. a whole neighborhood joined. Oh, it, that's it was amazing. Just, it was so much fun when I met. I met my best friend there. I, um, my best friend to this day. A uh, great story about how I met him. Uh, so as I said, it was about a forty-five minute drive from Toronto out to to Oshawa, and I had I a litany of shitty cars in my life. <laughs> I have owned well, literally. Was just I have the owned. Beginning of oh, <laughs> I owned a Pinto. I owned a Vega. I owned a Volkswagen Rabbit, and uh, this time I was driving a 
uh, Pontiac Ventura, which was actually one of my better shitty cars. <laughs> yeah. But I had uh, I'd broken down on the side of the highway, which was the main highway that drives out to Oshawa. And I wasn't very far out of Toronto, but I'd broke down. So actually, I'd run out of gas is what I'd done. Uh, <laughs> I love how you, you yeah. did admit to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. <laughs> and I was at the side of the road hitchhiking um, to go to the next exit to get gas. And this guy pulls over and picks me up. And uh, he says, what's up? And I go, I'm out of gas. And he goes, uh, take you to the next gas station? I go, yeah, that would be great. Thanks. So he pulls off the exit, drops me at the gas station. So he said, uh, get your gas and I'll run you back. I said, man, you know they do that. Because that's, that's no mean feat. You've got to go pass the next exit, come back. And, it, you know, it's a real pain in the ass. And I said, no, it's all right. I mean, I, he goes, no, no, I'll take you. In a broad Scottish accent, I could barely understand him. <laughs> Um, so he takes me back anyway, and we get in a, a guy my age, and we get in a conversation, and uh, he says, so where were you headed? And I said, Oshawa. He goes, oh, yeah, me, me too, just bought a house out there. And I go, oh, yeah, me too, been out there a couple of months. He said, what subdivision are you in? And I told him the name of our subdivision. He goes, yeah, that's kind of where I am. So what street are you on? I said, Gentry. He said, oh, I'm on Gentry. I said, no way. He said, what number are you? And I said, uh, 875. He said, I'm 872. I live across the street from you. <laughs> I love that. He said, now I recognize your car because I, I can recognize your your ass hanging out of the hood, working on it every night to try to make it <laughs> roadworthy enough to go to work the next day. So he had a brand new baby. We had a brand new baby. And uh, they came over and uh, we've been best friends ever since. And That's amazing. So was he, did he come over from Scotland? Did he, he did, yeah. He yeah he, and his story is very similar to mine. Uh, uh, he was 19 when they got married and came over, and uh, yeah, and that's so our, awesome. Our, our boys are our friends to this day, and yeah, it's great. It's a great story. They're great people, um, and and Oshawa was a great great time of our life, and uh, I got to really learn business and doing these these uh, air conditioners, and then doing a bunch of side jobs. I was always doing a side job. I was looking for something. That, Needed some sheet metal work, and I do that on weekends. And so, what's the uh, so? What did you learn <laughs> business-wise? I mean, what's is there a fundamental thing or two that, that sticks uh, out? Yeah, get paid. I mean, is is fundamental, and and yeah. So you know, get some money up front. Uh, you know, and, and harass people. That, that's to me has always been the hardest part of, and the, and the uh, I don't know the ugliest part of doing business is getting paid. I, I hate chasing money. I hate people that don't pay you know for a service provided drives me crazy but that's the same in anybody's business how did you know what to charge um figured it out pretty quick knew how long it took to make one you know and uh or to do one buy the sheet metal and i would buy that have it made brought out you know and then it was pretty easy to to start figuring that out and then when i started doing some small commercial side jobs um you know i'd, I'd take a guess at how long it would take me to do it and how much the sheet metal would cost that kind of organically just Learn how to estimate and now did you actually like file papers like for a business or are you just doing this on the side like with no so, like, business account or like how yeah so it, it came to the point where i said like i'm going to do this full time I, I need to start the business and because uh, at this point you're doing it on the weekends mainly and still exactly have the day nights job. weekends doing yeah and still have my day job as a sheet metal apprentice so at that point i went to the uh to the union and said uh you know, I'm going to start my own business, and they said, "Well, we don't start business with apprentices. You got to, you got to be a journeyman or have a journeyman with you." I said, "No, really." Um, so I went to my guy that was working with me, Bev. He'd been, we'd been working together for a couple of years, and he was the journeyman of uh, of our crew. And I told him what I wanted to do, and I said, "Why don't you come with me, Bev? 
work for me. He said, yeah, I'll do that. So we went back down to the union. I told the union guy, I said, now I have a journeyman. You got to sign us up. And he goes, oh, shit, I guess did I did. Did you have to make him like a, uh, a full partner? or did No, you no, no. He wasn't or? a partner at all. No, no. Just, you just need to have a journeyman on I just need to have a journeyman on, journeyman on my crew. Yeah. So why and, do you think uh, he went with you as opposed to the firm y'all were already working for? You know, I really don't know. We had a really good relationship. He was an um, older guy, the same age as my dad. They both fought in Korea together. Not together, I'm sorry, but at, uh, at the same time, him with the Canadians, my dad with the Welsh. Um, and he was just a great guy, and, and uh, we really hit it off together. And he said, yeah, I'll give that a go, and uh, came to work for me. That's amazing to me, because without him, you would not have had been able to start the business. Uh, that's right, yeah. I would have had to at least wait you know, until my apprenticeship was finished, and who knows what if the opportunities would have been there then, I don't know. But, uh, right. yeah, it was very important. It was key. Did it? I know it worked out for you. Did it work out for him as well? Worked out for him. Yeah. He stayed with me till he retired. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, we... Took that company, um, started doing small jobs, just him and I, and then it got to the point where I really needed to be seeing customers who weren't getting jobs, hired another guy to work with him, ended up hiring another crew, and I had two crews running, and I'm running around um, pricing jobs, seeing customers, making the material in the shop. They'd come in at night, help me at night and make material. Got to three crews, four crews, uh, had a little shop that I'd rented, uh, outgrew that, I had to move to a second shop, added a few more people. As the, as the years went by, we ended up going through three shops, and uh, I ended up with 60 employees. So what this. were you doing right? Um, well, a lot of it was, was circumstance, but, um, and, and luck to a certain degree. I, I never got burned on a job. I never, took a, I never had a really big job uh, that could go south and, and really sink a company. I had lots of small jobs. We were doing things, different jobs almost every day, every couple of days. No one could kill you. Um, if this it went, is if by it design? I, it sounds like you knew what you could handle. Yeah, it was it was a big part by design because uh, our my shop was had limited machinery because I didn't have uh, the CapEx at that time to really buy some of the modern uh, you know, expensive machinery. So we did it with older handheld equipment. Uh, no CNC stuff back then. What is CNC uh, stuff? Uh, computer numerically controlled, like like um, automated equipment, where so you you're punch in numbers. Used so I bought used equipment. Uh, we'd uh, you know shear the metal by hand. We'd bend the metal in hand brakes. Uh, of course, that's all powered now. My shop now is all all of that done is is done by power or CNC. Uh, yeah, so that, that just grew that way and and, and grew organically. I, I got a couple of good guys there that ended up being uh, key foreman for me that uh, to handle a lot of the business and let me expand in other ways. So it was a good time. We, we rode that up to, like I said, 60 employees. And So did you, do you prefer the, or did you prefer like the being out there and being the face and trying to get the work or? Uh, enjoyment wise, no. No, yeah, I, okay. I, no I enjoy hands-on stuff. I really did. Okay. Uh, but uh, but I had to do that, and that and that's what it took. And I enjoyed meeting people. I enjoyed um, meeting other contractors, people that I would work for. I, I I enjoyed that, but I really didn't enjoy the taking blueprints off and pricing stuff. That that, that gets old. But, gotcha. Uh, yeah, you know, and then we did that until I was able to hire an estimator. And then I just bring the plans back, and he would do the estimating. Outstanding. Uh, I like, yeah, yeah. I like getting rid of the work that we don't like to do. Exactly. Yeah. But it was a it was a growth time. It was it was. Great. I had great people working for the company. Made 
money every year. Uh, and and I, I have to say, during this whole time, uh, Jean and I had just made a decision when we got back from Europe, we got to do something about this education thing. So through this whole time, we were taking night school classes. Oh, wow. And uh, Jeannie was actually at the University of Toronto, which is pretty, pretty special. That's I mean, cool. she was, she was uh, accepted there as a kind of a mature student. Uh, I was going to George Brown and Ryerson at night to you know, two different like trade colleges. Um, and so, yeah, we, did, we continued our education at, at night, fitting it in between child rearing, working in, you know, whatever, how many hours a day. And, uh, so you're, yeah, you're running a business, have kids. Do you have just one or two at this point? Uh, by this point, I have two. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And going to night school. And going to night school. Yeah. Is it just that you wanted the the letters behind the name, or were you like, because it seems like, because like, I mean, you you can learn without being in school. Yeah. No. So I I, the thought behind I felt that? it was I felt it was important. Uh, for Jeannie, it was she was still working at Hallmark Cards while doing our books at night and uh, on weekends, and they actually paid for her to become a uh, an RIA they have a term up there registered industrial accountant and I don't think they have it here in the states but it's it's kind of, it's a it's a certified accountant but uh, for industrial ap- applications like gotcha. working in companies and things like that so they paid for her to go to U of T and learn that that's amazing and I just always wanted to finish what to I to do that yeah <laughs> left interrupted <laughs> that makes sense so uh, yeah so from that point um, We've gone through three shops. We're now in a pretty sizable location. I've got a lot better machinery now. I've got uh, uh, plasma cutters and, and you know some power brakes, things like that. The company what do you do with the old equipment? I'm just curious. Sell it off. Yeah, so sell it or yeah, for, really for pennies on the dollar. You, you don't get much. Uh, you know, I don't melt it down for boat anchors or something. I don't know do you do. lease equipment in this business too, or is it just mainly buying? Yeah, some people do. Uh, we. We did not lease any equipment until we came down here and started the business here in Atlanta. But our, um, during the growth years up there, now I bought everything. Gotcha. And, uh, yeah, um, did that until, I guess, the early 90s. And uh, during then in the 90s, I started thinking, yeah, I'm in my late 30s. Uh, is this it? Like, I, I don't know, Maybe maybe I need to look and do something else, maybe expand this business. Uh, I, I, I don't really know what to do, but I need to start looking around thinking about what I want to do. So what was the feeling going through that made you kind of have that pause? Um, partially, partially boredom. Uh, so things were, things had now plateaued and we were just kind of like, it was the same thing every day. And we were, but we were doing fine, but it was the same thing every day. Right. Um, another thing that started a bit of a, economic downturn in Canada. I had a couple of key guys there that uh, were, one of them being my brother. Uh, he had been in the business with me for a little while as, as an employee. And I thought, uh, you know, these guys could probably run this. And they really don't need me here. Maybe I should look at something else. So I started looking around. I started thinking, what 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 would that look like? I don't, need, don't even know. But uh, I thought, I wonder if I did something like I'm doing here down in the States. Let's go check that out. So that's interesting to me that um, that it, rather than like being like a completely different career or trajectory, it was you're really thinking like, well, can I do it again from scratch somewhere else? Yeah, and I think part of that was a bit of my uh, insecurity about my education. Um, 
yeah, I think I think that really kind of was always in the back of my mind. Like you try and get into a different field or a different. I, I knew what I knew. Right. I knew what I could do, but you know I couldn't decide. You know what? Damn it! I wish I'd gone to law school. Well, geez, I you know I hadn't even graduated high school, so it was it was a long road to get there. But right. just as an example, you know, I knew what yeah. I knew, so I thought you know it'd have to be something in that kind of realm. Did you uh, and Jeannie talk about this? Was she feeling something similar? No, or? not at all. No, um, Jeannie's a adventurous spirit. And I, I, I mean, if I said tomorrow, we got this great opportunity in Peru, let's go do it. She'd go, okay, let's go. You know, yeah, she's she's an That's she's amazing. an adventurous spirit. It really is. Um, so anyway, I started looking around, and I um, I had a connection in Raleigh Durham, and Raleigh Durham was kind of busy at the time. They were doing pretty well, and uh, I went down there and. Kind of looked around and thought, you know, this might be a place to start something, but I only knew this one contact. And then um, through, I guess, through the union and through another, through other means, um, uh, people in Atlanta found out I was looking around to do something. I don't even know how that happened, but a uh, guy called me and he said, hey, why don't you come down here and look at Atlanta? It's, you know, pretty good opportunities here. So I came down. Uh, we're a union shop, as I mentioned. The union got a hold of me and said, uh, you know, we have union manif- we have union installers down here that don't have anywhere to buy their material. If they had a union shop, they would buy from you. So that kind of was appetizing. You know, they have a, yeah, you have a built-in customer base waiting yeah, for your products. Yeah. So then I got to look around and see, uh, well, how would this look? What, what, what do I need to get started? Well, there was a guy who had a fairly major sheet metal business here who had just retired his closed his shop he was going to sell off the equipment or whatever uh somebody put me in touch with him i went in and looked and i said this is i mean i can turn the light switch on here and start business they had everything uh, you needed had everything i needed everything was there uh, all the machinery was in place it was old and tired but i mean i could literally get the power hooked up turn it on and i'd have a shop that's i didn't have any work or any employees but I, you know i'd have a shop right but that's that that seems amazing to me yeah like yeah it was <laughs> yeah it was amazing um so I found out the um, the guy that used to run the shop. I found out where he was. Now he was gainfully employed elsewhere. Got a hold of him and said, "Hey, any interest in uh, coming back to your old haunt and working for me?" And over a few beers, we made a deal, and he came back to work for me. So what did you? So how did you get him? I just he was happy with his job. He, he was he was happy with his new the new job he went to, but this was his baby. He was the shop foreman in, in this building. He knew the building inside out. It was closer to his home. Uh, I guess he liked the idea of maybe starting something new and working with me. Uh, we're at the same age. Uh, we're the same age at the time. We're both in our late 30s. Um, he was happy to, to make the leap. So I'm curious why, and you may not know this. <laughs> it would be weird if you did, maybe. Um, so, like, why didn't he do this? Like, why didn't he do it on his own yeah i think I people are, are cut differently that way i think some people uh, especially once kids and family are involved they aren't willing to put that at risk and i understand it totally i mean you know once you've got those responsibilities a mortgage and th- uh you know they, we, we literally put everything at risk in the early days of both companies we put you know you you don't know if you're going to make payroll you know that check's got to come in from your last job in order to make pay, payroll this week Right. Um, so people, a lot of people aren't built that way, and uh, I get it. I understand that. So that's why he wouldn't have done it, I'm sure. Can you think of a particular time where you were worried about losing it all? Never worried about losing it all, but definitely worried about 
making payroll or making a bill or or you know how are we going to pay this let's not pay that one this week and pay this one that definitely that but i never i was never worried about losing it all i got you so i could always go tile stores at a max milk (laughs) exactly (laughs) or any other thing you can make up to do uh so you ended up by buying the buying the plant so i bought the the plant from him um and hired this guy so it was just me and him uh reached out to these other companies these union companies that were looking for somewhere to buy and uh sure enough uh, you know they started buying small little jobs from us now this is part of the company in canada or did you start like a new entity so it was a new entity this? but uh we still had the company in canada okay. so this is a brand new entity and um yeah, so we started getting getting small orders. Uh, he would do them. We ended up hiring a, a, a another helper right away. So those two guys would make it. I guess within oh, we only manufactured. We didn't do don't do any installation down here. It's just a shop. We make the stuff and other people put it in. Okay. Different from my company in Canada. Where no, I'd was have that to a strategic decision? It was. Yeah. Tell me why. Um, much less risk. You can control what's in front of you. You can't control what's out on the job site. Uh, you don't know what your guys are doing. You don't know where they are. The risks are greater. The chances for accidents are greater. Um, yeah, there was too much risk. So at that point, I, I wasn't willing to put that much at risk for that. What is it, uh, looking back on when you were starting the job in Canada, is, would you go back and do that differently? Would you, If you could have not installed, would you make that same decision? No, I wouldn't. No, the way I did it was perfect for the times and the place. Okay. But... Having the knowledge of that and knowing what I wanted to do down here, I think this way was the right way for me to do it. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, Um, yeah, we grew that company fairly quickly down here. We um, basically grew the same way I grew the Toronto one. We had add two people within a couple of weeks, another two, another two, and got to where we had about thirty employees, I guess. Is there a difference between doing business here and doing business there? fundamentally or not um no not really not really uh it's still the same chase the money get paid make sure you're on top of everything receivable wise um yeah you know terms things they called things things like you know pieces of even pieces of equipment are named differently pieces of the way you term metal is different but other than that no gauges sizes of course we're decimal system up in canada and um but no, not not really. The the business runs the same way. Gotcha. Um, and that went on for five years uh, down here. That was 93, 1993. So in 1998, we were busting at the seams. We just, I had to get a new shop, and I had a uh, opportunity to get this building. And a f- funny story, I digress for a second, but uh, my I had an agent, a real estate agent, out looking for buildings for me. And he knew what I wanted. I was looking for something... We were in about 15,000 square feet, and I was looking for something like 40,000 square feet. So he came to me one day, and he said, uh, like, I know this is bigger than you want. But it's just down the road. Price is pretty good, and it's 77,000 square feet. It's a real big building on four and a half acres. But uh, you should have a look at it. I go, ah, it's bigger than I want. He said, oh, no, come and have a look at it. So I go and have a look at it, and it's, uh, it used to be Stone Mountain Handbags Manufacturing Facility. Then they took all that to China, so basically they had this empty building, and it was perfect for what I wanted, except way too big. Hmm. Um, so I, but I had so I was kind of intrigued. The price wasn't too bad, 
And uh, I asked some questions about, what about this? What, you know, how about this? What about this phone? So I had everything. Like, they just basically locked the doors and emptied the place. Um, what about the phone system? Is that going to go with it? What about this? He goes, you know what? We need to get the general manager of this company on the phone. And uh, he'll answer all the questions for you. So he says, I got to call him um, on his cell phone. He's on his way to Florida. I was just talking to him this morning. He's on his way to Florida. He's a hockey coach here in Atlanta, and he's on his way to a hockey tournament. And I go, oh, really? Uh, what's the guy's name? And he told me the guy's name. Well, I know the guy. I was coaching at the time, too, and playing, and I played against this guy. Plus, I coached him. Oh, like uh, plus, I coached uh, and, and like while an he was coaching. Like an adult rec league or kids? Uh, we coached kids, and we played in an adult rec league together. Gotcha. So he gets him on the phone, and he's talking. Tom, he says, uh, I've got a potential guy here, and he's got some questions about the uh, building and some other things. Uh, do you mind talking to him? I guess he said, not at all. So he hands me the phone, and I said, I have, first of all, let me start out by saying, what the hell are you doing coaching kids hockey? You're the worst fucking defenseman I have ever <laughs> seen in my life. How are you, you going to teach kids? Ever? And it was just – and the – the real estate agent's face was just white. And Tonga's like, who the hell is this? And I told him, I said, Steve Cuts. And he goes, you asshole. This whole <laughs> it goes back and forth between us like this for a few minutes. And yeah. he goes, look, I'll tell you, we need out of this building. I'll tell you right now what our bottom price is. You can have anything you want. Uh, he, he, you know, we, we cut to the chase, basically. Right. And, uh, and I made a deal that day. Bought that building, which... Best move I ever made was buying that building because we, you know, 40000 would have been great, but I would have been having to move again. Okay. So this, we moved in 98 into this building, and we fill every inch of it now. That's amazing. So the business expanded to fit the building. Yep, <laughs> it sure did. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. So how did, you, uh, how did you find hockey down here? Obviously, hockey was big growing, but was it hard to find a community? So I played hockey all my life, and um, when I first moved down here, I was living in the Hampton Inn, and... Uh, there was a bar across the road. I don't know, do you remember Fuzzy's place? Oh, heck yeah. So I would go over there and have dinner sometimes and sit at Fuzzy's. And I was sitting at a table having dinner one night, and uh, I heard from the table next to me, and this guy says, oh, that ref last night was such an asshole. And he goes, no way, I hooked that guy. I don't know. Talking to his buddy, I, I couldn't listen <laughs> right? anymore. I, I goes, guys, uh, I can't help it overhearing. You guys play hockey down here? And uh, they go, yeah, yeah, we play in a men's league. And I go, like, Wow. Man, who do I call to see if I can get in that league? And the guy, guy says, "Well, I'm the president of the league, and that guy's the vice president." <laughs> and I, I said, feel "Wow, like you're in the right place at a lot yeah. of times." I said, "Wow, do you think you can get me on a team?" And he goes, uh, "Where are you from?" I said, "Toronto." He goes, "Yeah, you're on my team." <laughs> <laughs> Didn't ask where I played. Right, Toronto was good enough. That's know. all I needed oh. to know. So I played on his team and uh, and went from there. But uh, yeah, that's how I found hockey, and then. Of course, my, my boys at that time were young teenagers, and uh, they started. They were playing hockey immediately down here. Uh, where, where was there a rink? So there was a rink at that time. There was a rink at Stone Mountain. There was a rink at Park Air in Marietta. Um, shortly after that, well, I guess a little bit after that, they built the cooler up on Mansell Road. Did we have a hockey team at this time? We've had various We had the uh, Atlanta Knights at the that Knights time. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Those Knights games were fun. They were great. They were great. A lot of fun. Um, yeah, so so then I got in the whole hockey community down here, and then that's where my friends to this day that I hang out with mostly are all guys from hockey. That's outstanding. It's a uh, great time. And yeah, so uh, 
that's how I knew this guy. That's how I bought the building, and uh, we grew the business from there. Grew it, uh, went great. Uh, 2005, it was pretty much at its peak, and uh, I got a, an offer to sell the business. Let me just, I want to tie up one thing with the sure. Canadian company. Are you still, you technically still own it, but you're just not, you're not running it? Yeah, so by this point, we had sold that business to my brother and the other key employee. They had taken out. When we moved down here, they did a small purchase where they had a percentage each. At that point, we could see that they were going to run their business, and I needed to run this. So we sold the rest of it to them. So now that was they that hard that letting business. that go at all? This thing you'd created from scratch? It was. It was. It was. It was hard, um, but it was the right thing to do. So okay. just let it go. And uh, yeah, so that that's what happened there. I got you. So you have an offer to to sell the Atlanta company. Now. So I got a great offer, um, and got a chance to take a bunch of chips off the table. Plus, they wanted me to... It was an investment company from Canada, the bottom investment trust company. So they had no interest in running the business. They wanted me to continue to run the business, continue to hold a percent, a small percentage of the ownership in the business, I guess, to keep me interested. You, yeah. um, but they gave me a very good offer and bought the company. And it, it was fine. They didn't get involved at all. I mean, they never even came here. I would send up monthly reports... We were doing well. The company was making money. They were happy. So it was basically uh, like, here's a bunch of cash. Keep doing what you're doing? Keep doing what you're doing. That right. seems like a no-brainer. Here's, here's an employment contract. Will you work for this? No, but I'll work for this. Okay, sign that. Um, I was still the landlord. I owned the building. Um, Jeannie was the controller, accountant. And uh, Daniel, by that time, had started, I guess, no, I guess he had just he hadn't quite come to work for us, he was still in the university when he came right out of college and worked for us um, but yeah, so uh, it, it was it was a great deal like, yeah, uh-huh. that's, that's yeah. amazing yeah, um, and that went on for a few years until the crash and okay. the, the crash when you measured it in construction, I mean you could tell in Atlanta by looking, there was a ton of cranes and then there wasn't any crane. That simple. It basically fell off the table. So our business fell in half in one year. And this is 2009, beginning of 2009. And our business cut in half immediately. So I was letting people go. I had office staff on short time. Um, it, it, it was looking ugly. Yeah. I know. What did you, how did you feel? I felt, I felt bad. I felt, you know, I, I knew we were doing all we could do. Um, Reports were going up then. We weren't making money. All of a sudden, we were losing money. For the first time in my life, we were losing money. Right. I'm a small partner. They're the big partner up there. I still have my employment contract, so I'm, I'm okay. I'm still getting money. Right. Uh, but it, it was look, looking pretty ugly. And they called one day and said, hey, we want to sell this. We need out of this. And I said, I'll help you any way I can. I'll, you know, prospective owners, if, if, I, if you want to look for some, I'll look for some. We'll get people through. Well, they couldn't find anybody because nobody wants to buy a business that's not doing well, number one. And two, the guy running it is the owner, and his wife is the controller. By this time, Danny's there. Danny's the sales manager. The owner is the owner of the real estate. <laughs> it wasn't very attractive to anybody but mm, us. Right. That makes perfect sense. So they said, uh, and they realized that, and they said, well, you know, why don't you buy it? Here's what we'll sell it to you for. And it wasn't a terrible offer, but 
and this, I wasn't lowballing them, but the, at this point, I've already got my chips off the table. I wasn't really interested in paying a lot of money for not a failing business, but a bailing business that wasn't doing that well. Right, and you knew it intimately, clearly. You know, exactly. Like, you knew exactly what you were probably <laughs> exactly. willing to pay for it. So I made a very low offer basically five cents on the dollar of what i paid for it and i said guys i totally understand if you're offended by this i totally understand if you don't want to pay this for it i'm still willing to help you in any way i can but this is the this is what i'll pay for it and that's it i, I know if you want me to buy it and they said not possible uh, and i said okay that's fine well, what's the next step do you have people down do you want me to show them through and i uh, you know can i put any window dressing on this place what can i do right they said, we'll get back to you. They got back to me shortly after, I guess maybe two weeks after, and then said, sign the papers, it's yours. And they, were, they had another, a, a number of other businesses, too, that were failing. I think they needed to they needed get themselves to get cash out. quickly. Yeah. So we ended up buying the business back. Uh, fortunately for us, the timing was perfect. Things started to turn around. That was at the lowest ebb possible. Um, 10, it started to turn around a little bit by 11, 12, and then... 13 it started to look a lot better and we've been on an upward trajectory since that's so, that's an amazing story it, very fortunate very lucky well so what do you do because obviously things will turn badly again you know it's not always going to continue to rise like because you're basically tied to the commercial construction development right yes more than anything yes so if that's what do you look at to see if that's going to turn again and go you know is there a sign before the cranes disappear? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't, and you can't plan for what we had before, where basically everything just dropped off the table. Right. I certainly expect expect a decline, a recession. We'll we'll get there again. We've, we've been through too many, and it's it's just obvious we'll, we'll head there at some point. Uh, yeah, hunker down. You know, make sure you're you're buying correctly. You know, make sure that uh, you don't have too much overheads uh certainly does help that i own the building which is a major expense oh my gosh, yes. um yeah there's not really a lot you can do to plan for that it's really a make hay while the sunshine situation right um so what's next uh we still want to travel Jeannie and i still want to travel uh, a lot um we have a place now in hilton heads so we, we enjoy spending a lot of time down there um, got three grandkids. I'm really enjoying that. I really like to do less than I'm doing at work. And I think uh, uh, my son Daniel, who's a, a partner with me now, is obviously doing more. I think getting the right person in there who will take less, uh, take a lo load off him so I can do less. Uh, I don't see myself retiring, packing in and saying, okay, Dan, I'm done two weeks next Wednesday. It's going to be just a gradual decline and help where I can. And, um, uh, so how do you how do you prepare for that? That's a lot of family businesses struggle with that transition from the person who started it. What do you what do you do to make sure that goes well? That's really hard, and it's a very good question because it's very hard to let go of things. It's hard to say, you know, I'm all right. I'm not going to do. I'm not going to look after the billing every month anymore. I want somebody else doing that. You know, you're letting go of of your lifeblood there. It, it, it's hard, but it's something that I have to force myself to do. Uh, I do it with customers now. I have customers that um, push into other people um, that I'm not looking after anymore, even though I had the one-on-one -on -one relationship with the people. Uh, so more of that. Um, 
hiring more people in the office to help Jeannie. We have uh, a great girl there who's who's there full time all the time, but Jeannie still has a lot to do with a couple of we own a couple of other ventures too, and she has to look after all of that, and it's it's too much. So I need to get help for her. Um, yeah, it's a bit at a time. Just start divesting myself of responsibilities. I got you. So more more time to travel. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so let's talk about travel a little bit. Obviously, you had you know you've been doing it since you were very young, and y'all have been doing it together. What have you learned about traveling together? Um, how, do, how do couples make that work? So I'm very, I'm I'm very organized, and I plan everything when we go on a trip. I know what we're going to see. I know, I know where we're going to go. And now, in at this stage of our life, when you know, fortunately, we have a few more dollars, I know what restaurants I want reservations in. I know what hotel we're staying at. All of that is booked and planned. Um, Jeannie, you know, of course, I run everything by her, and she'll say, you know, like, uh, oh, I've heard this is great to see in Cambodia. We need to see that. Then I'll do the research, find out how feasible that is to do, and then then we do it. But everything's on a spreadsheet. Everything's planned out, and <laughs> All right, that's, that's how we do it. Um, so where's the next trip? We were talking about that the other night. So uh, we're thinking either Bulgaria uh, Buenos Aires, um, probably down to those two. Croatia, I believe I've not been to Croatia, and I'd love to go, but it's it's really as funny as it sounds. It's really hard to get to at, really? at the time of year that we want to go. Um, you know, we've thought we'd like to go by ferry, or and trains don't run there. They because they got to go through Serbia or whatever. Um, I'm sure I can get it done, but it's it's a little daunting in getting there. But uh, yeah, probably probably somewhere like Bulgaria or Buenos Aires. I gotcha. Those kind of both sound amazing. I don't yeah, think you have a, a wrong choice. Um, let's talk a little bit of reading because you and I have talked books before. Yeah. Uh, and, and now I know you read a lot of history. Uh, are there any books you recommend? Uh, nonfiction history books that would either give somebody a better sense of uh, a, a sense of who you are. Um. So I very rarely read um, any fiction anymore. I, I don't have as much time to read as I'd like, and when I do, I want it to be usually uh, nonfiction. And I read a lot of historical, especially war stuff. I love books about uh, Second World War, Korea, or and I'm reading a book right now by Jeff Shara uh, about Korea. It's an uh, excellent book. He's an excellent author. Yeah, Michael did he do? Or I get him because he has a cousin or brother too. Oh, right? I think it's his dad, isn't it, dad? Michael? Okay. Michael Shera. Yeah, they did all Who the did Civil Killer War Angels? books. I think that's Michael. I okay. think that's um, fabulous book too. Yeah, right. Killer Angels. Yeah, and I like anything by Stephen Ambrose. You know, his his books are fantastic. Und- Undaunted Courage is just such an amazing story. What is that about? Uh, Lewis and Clark one. expedition, and oh, uh, wow. yeah, these guys like in the area that know white man has been before and they come to a fork in the river and they say you go that way and i'll go this way and we'll meet up down the way and <laughs> yeah, like right, yeah, really that's it's, uh it's hard to put yourself there it really people, is like, like, it really is it's amazing so who got you into reading or did, was there a bookstore you loved growing up or <laughs> our uh so we had a thing i don't know if you had it uh down here in the states but we had a thing up there called a bookmobile we yes, I mean in Columbus, Georgia, they had a bookmobile. Awesome, yeah. awesome. So this bookmobile was basically a tractor trailer outfitted as a library, and it would go around your neighborhoods. And like you know, the second Tuesday of every month or whatever was the day for the bookmobile to come to 
our neighborhood. And you were allowed to check out, I think, three books. And uh, we'd all go and check out three books. And, of course, you couldn't wait for the bookmobile to come back to get your next three books. I haven't thought about the bookmobile in forever. And, yeah, I used to come to those uh, grocery store parking lot. And we would always go by the bookmobile. And it was amazing. It was like Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. I think it was run by the library. Uh, uh, Basically, the portable library. But that was all so much fun. And Hardy Boy books or whatever growing up. You know, I I read everything. And then as I got older, I read a little more interesting stuff. A lot of Steinbeck and Hardy and things like that. Did, Did you have a favorite book as a kid or anything like that? So as a kid, depending on you classify kid. Kind of um, so around um, my first year high school area, so around 13, 14, I just devoured anything that John Steinbeck wrote. Oh, wow. Um, you know, Grapes of Wrath, obviously, but uh, books like Indubious Battle and uh, Cannery Row, Tortilla Flat, Of Mice and Men, anything he wrote, I would just devour it. I have not read a lot of Steinbeck. Um, if you were to start with one Ambrose book, what would you recommend people start and, with? Undaunted Courage. Undaunted Courage, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, all right, so I am going to, to buy and read that Ambrose book because I think there was a documentary not too long ago about the Lewis and Clark trip like on PBS. I don't know if it was a Ken Burns one or not, but I'm, I'm pretty fascinated by that. You'll enjoy it. Um, and I'll do that since you actually you're one of the few people because I recommend books a lot you actually I recommended a book you actually bought it and actually read it uh, so thank you that was um, Shadow of the Wind oh fabulous book it's a Ruiz right I can't remember yes. Carlos yes. Ruiz yeah. I think and it took place in Barcelona uh, which you've actually been to oh I love Barcelona it's one one of our favorite cities uh, yeah it's good uh, great I love the old town the old area uh, of Barcelona uh, Love it to death. Had a bad experience there, though. In Barcelona? In Barcelona, yeah. The only time, I consider ourselves pretty savvy travelers, but uh, I made a mistake in Barcelona. And Jeannie and I went out to the to a bar to watch the Copa del Rey, big soccer tournament over there. Okay. Soccer game, I should say, over there. And uh, I wore a watch that I shouldn't have been wearing, that I don't usually travel with, but for some reason I had it on that uh, I night. I don't wear expensive watches. That's, yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. heard that. And we were leaving the bar and uh, walking back to our hotel. And our hotel had a glass street-level entrance into it with sliding doors. And we got to the entrance, and the doors opened, and Jeannie went in. And just as she did, two guys approached me. And the one guy kind of bumped me, got really close, and was asking for a light. He got a light, and he got a light. But obviously, he was pushing me against the wall. Uh, I could see something bad was going to happen and then he got his other his hand up in his thumb up inside my watch band with the intention of snapping it off obviously as a pro yeah yeah um so i guess i don't know probably not the smartest thing to do but a couple of beers in and uh (laughs) old hockey instincts take over and i grabbed him in a headlock and just started pounding on him uh actually just got a couple of shots in but uh cracked him pretty good right on the nose and the whole time looking i'm looking at this other guy like when is he going to jump in and right uh, just at that moment, the doors open again, and Jeannie comes out and just started screaming at the top of her lungs, which is probably the best thing she could have done. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the guy just broke away from me, and the other guy took a look, and away they went. They, they took off. But uh, saved my watch. Probably not the smartest thing to do in the world. <laughs> yeah. The hockey instincts. Yeah, yeah, I love that. yeah. Do you all fight in the rec leagues? Well, we, you know, 
in the last few years, I, I just packed in a few years ago because of an injury. The fights are very, very rare. But well, when I first played down here in, in the Open League, uh, yeah, unfortunately there were. I mean, it was it was silly. It was, uh, there was a number of fights that probably shouldn't have happened. But what's the? Uh, can we talk about the hockey and hockey sure. fights just for a second? Because I've I've never understood because it doesn't seem these aren't written rules into the hockey game of like when a fight should start, when it shouldn't start, who's going to the penalty box, who's not. Like I'm always amazed that somebody and this is how I frame it, and I, this is not necessarily the correct way to frame it. But why would you be stupid enough to start this fight knowing you're going to go to the, give them a power play? Yeah, so... I mean, I'm sure there's more to get. There is more to it. Me. So <laughs> the, the fights that you see in the NHL, which are fewer and fewer all the time, fighting is almost gone from the NHL. Really? You still see okay. it randomly, but not very often. Those were always the strangest thing. Like, like a guy would whack the superstar on one team, and the other te- the team takes offense to that, but the code says you don't go and the, the the bruiser on your team doesn't go beat up the guy who hit the guy if he's a small guy, you go beat up their bruisers. So Joe hits Bill, so Mike and Rob go and fight. So it's really strange. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's okay. It. But you know when you're playing in rec league and and a fight breaks out, it's usually because some guy gets his stick up in the corner and you push him back and he calls you an asshole and you call him an asshole and then he's got his hand up under your mask and then you hit him and he hits you back and then fight and you roll on the ice and it's over. <laughs> so it's not like the helmet's off and big drawn out fights that you see uh, see on TV. Okay, I yeah. gotcha. Thank you, thank you yeah. for, for clearing that up. Uh, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, I usually end with some perennial questions. We've already gotten to a couple of them but let me, let me ask you just, just a few. Um, so big fire in the house, kids, family, pets, everybody's safe. You can grab three things. Uh, what three things would you grab? Um, I guess I, I'd grab the obvious, which would be photo albums of you know the kids when they were young and things like that that aren't that we don't have digital. I'd grab those. My passports, both of them, my Canadian and my U.S. passport, which I have now. I'm a U.S. citizen as of six months ago. Outstanding. Or, Congratulations. Thank you. Very, very cool. I'm very proud of that. Good time to be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't know. The third thing, I, I might grab that watch that I saved in Barcelona. Well, that's outstanding. <laughs> uh, was it hard becoming a citizen? Like the whole process? No. No, not very. I, I mean, the questions are, are pretty intense. Uh, we did, so we took, you read the book, you do the questionnaires, all this kind of stuff to study for it. And the questions are pretty hard on the questionnaire. When you actually go in, they're not that hard, but the questionnaire, you'd be surprised, the study guide. um, I think I took 25 of the questions out of there and gave a bunch of Jeannie's friends, we were at a party and gave them all the questionnaire. And these are all people who are very politically involved and and very savvy people. Aware. Aware. And I said, uh, let's have a little test. Let's see how many you'll get. There's no, nobody's going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to give out people's scores or whatever. But uh, How did everybody do? You know, there were 13s, 14s, 15s. Nobody got them all. Wow. Uh, it was, it was uh, eye-opening. It was eye-opening. I hope they uh, appreciated their, uh, their history and what yeah. we make uh, people do to, get to try to get in the country. It's, yeah, it, it was great. Uh, one of the coolest things about the citizenship uh, hearing, so you go in and have your interview and all that and then you get a date where you actually go get your citizenship and the room is filled with maybe 75 people 
<coughs> excuse me, who are getting their citizenship that day, and they start reading out the countries, country by country, and ask you to stand up. And I think the number was 50 or 48 countries were represented that day of people getting their American citizenship, which is really cool. That is amazing. That is absolutely great. Did Jeannie do this as well? She did. Yeah, she, we did it the same time for whatever reason. We got different dates to go and do our actual uh, swearing in. But, uh, yeah, so we both are citizens now. Did you celebrate by drinking a Budweiser, putting a cheeseburger on your uh, shirt and, you know, lounging on the couch? Or? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, exactly what we did. How did you celebrate? <laughs> oh, we just we had a fabulous dinner and talked about it. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's hard to identify now as an american in one way uh, not not to, not to identify i said that wrong hard to not identify as a canadian any mm. longer like but when people ask me now i'm i'm an american uh, i'm here by choice uh but it's still you still always canadian i still always have that and i have that passport but but i identify as a u.s we just traveled recently and we'll be traveling uh in a couple of weeks over to britain and i'll be traveling on a u.s passport oh that's yeah. very very cool uh, Blue Jays play the Braves. Who are you rooting for? Um, so now, this year, this point in time, the Braves. Because the Blue Jays suck. <laughs> yeah. But well, I, the Braves will get back there again. That's a funny question. <laughs> so I've been here now 25 years. And for the first 24 years, I couldn't pull for the Braves. I just couldn't. It took me that long. Uh, but now I am a Braves fan. I'm absolutely a Falcons fan, and uh, Atlanta United is just over the top. So I'm, I'm a huge Atlanta fan and supporter. All right, well, that sounds like a good place to end it. Well, Steve Cutts, <laughs> thank you for your time. I really enjoyed this. Uh, thanks for doing it. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for listening to the Origin Story podcast. The show is produced by Pinecone Turkey. To learn more about Pinecone Turkey, visit pineconeturkey.com, where you can sign up for the flock email a twice-a-month newsletter that delivers a short film, poetry, a short story, and visual art right to your inbox. 